1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Crystal War College. Wednesday War College, uh, Jess Romero, Dan Schneider. Hey, Dan, good to see you, my friend. I know you had a long trip from uh, across the pond. I just want to mention, yeah, I just want to mention also that this month is a month uh, dedicated to the month of July, dedicated to the precious blood of Jesus. This uh, feast was instituted back in 1849 by Pope Pius IX. And this devotion to the precious blood of Jesus is as old as Christianity itself. Dan, welcome back. And uh, <clears throat> so you were over in Germany evangelizing. Tell us a little bit about the state of uh, Germany. I mean, what did you see out there? Your last name, Schneider, indicates that you have a connection to Germany. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. I tell them, the... uh, yeah, I should I should speak uh, German because of my German background, but uh, I actually speak Spanish because of <laughs> where I live and what I do. And this is America, for goodness sake. Spanish, too. Because there's a there's you know in our and where I live it's you know southwest as you know so so yeah I wish I could speak a little German but they were able to translate everything it was a very interesting uh, phenomenon I mean like you got to see the German church um, the problems they're having or um, what really comes to mind is is uh, there's a scene it, it's not just in the movie it's you can look this up um, Mel Gibson did a movie called We Were Soldiers Once and Young and uh, I met Colonel Moore he was a, a this was a famous battle in the Idrang Valley in Vietnam, and uh, uh, Colonel Moore, a uh, good Catholic man, I saw an interview on EWTN, you can see it on YouTube, um, uh, Hal Moore was his name, and uh, and then Joe Galloway just passed away recently. He was a, an embedded combat uh, military reporter, wrote a book. He came out and traveled with my unit because my unit was the 7th Cabin. We were the same unit as the Idrang. So. Um, there was one scene with it, with it, the enemy, they, they didn't anticipate it. They were outnumbered, I think three or four to one, maybe five to one, but they, this is the first time they used helicopters as a, uh, force and combat multiplier, um, uh, which just increases the combat effectiveness of the force. And, uh, and this, this battle actually gave them the idea that they could win the war. And, uh, so there was one point when the enemy just kept coming and there was, they, they, they came across like a, I want to say there was a, a troop of, of, of cav maybe a company size squadron and there, there might've been like three crazy, crazy numbers and they call broken arrow. Uh, and that is you call in airstrikes danger close. I mean, you're, you call them on your perimeter wire um, to keep the enemy back. And that's kind of, that, that's kind of what came to, comes to mind. This is I come back and kind of reflect on my experience over there. Um, the, the church is there, there, there is a resistance movement there fighting back, but the, the, the interpenetration between the church and the state are it's 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 an unholy alliance um, mm-hmm. in part because of the German uh, church tax. I don't know the name in German, but there's a tax that if you say you're Catholic, you the, the government takes eight percent of your money and it gives it directly to that diocese. And the diocese is not allowed to discriminate in their hiring practice. You've got, you know, people in gay marriages. Uh, they can't enforce the church's teaching and their hiring practices. So um, you've got all sorts of people running the church uh, that are not even Catholic. And so um, but the church needs the money to survive. And so it's like I said, it's kind of 
compliance and as there's you know i see i see the dangers of that the happiest people i met uh, was I, we had a meeting with the uh the abbess at uh, saint walburgis and there's a famous monastery there there's two they have two foundations here from that monastery one in colorado and one in pennsylvania they call them the cow sisters they're these huge hulking german women and they you'll see them on, on the internet they're plowing behind cows uh, old-fashioned they're really uh, living living the old ancient rule uh good strong um uh, women and uh, i met with the abbess hitler had i talked to the bishop there too as well a while back and the bishop said that during the second world war that uh he said the um, the only real the only real man in Eichstadt is the is the abbess of St. Walburga's Abbey. Wow. And after wow. sitting with the abbess, she was a real man. She was a man's man, if you <laughs> if you know what I mean. She was a rugged, hardy uh, uh, Benedictine, and they're not taking a nickel. They get nothing of this church tax, and they're very happy because wow. they're they're not being. There's no way they're going. You're going to seduce them and and with money, and they're completely living off providence the way it should be. Unbelievable. You know, Dan, the German church has had problems in the past. I mean, it started with Martin Luther. You got the spirit of Luther. You got the spirit of Nietzsche, the, the philosopher, the atheist philosopher. You've had a lot of modernists, you know, Bultmann, just a lot of modernist theologians, yeah. both in the Protestant and in the Catholic church, that have uh, that have made a mess of biblical theology. That's why Scott Hahn has started his own institute, basically to try to rehabilitate biblical theology to its, yeah. to its Catholic norms. And uh, obviously you've had Hitler there. Something, something else also interesting about Germany, Dan. I don't know if this ever came up with your conversations. But there was a young girl in Germany named Annalise Michelle that from 1973 to 1975, it was determined that she was possessed. I think she was from Bavaria, Germany. Yeah. And there were, se there, were se there were several priests that were assigned to the case. And uh, she ended up dying of uh, malnutrition. And, and, and Yeah, yeah she... She just didn't have enough food or enough water. Uh, but one of the things, th there's, there's two popular beliefs about Annalise Michelle. One, of course, you know, some people would just say, ah, she was mentally ill, that's all. And another, the other school of thought is that she was a victim soul for the church and for the conversion of sinners that she was asked by Our Lady uh, to be a victim soul for all the priests and, and all the clergy in Germany who had basically had lost their faith. So, uh, and, and I know a lot of German people regard her, regard her as a saint. They go to her tomb and they pray uh, at, right at her grave site. So time will tell, but from, from everything I read that, about, yeah. Because of that though, um, the, the, the state actually um, tried to, they, they tried to bring criminal charges against the, the, the priests that were involved. The, and there really was, was a lot of mishandling and misdiagnosing. Um, she was she was she was actually liberated, and then there was a second possession, and the second possession is what, what you know. Again, I I'm not completely briefed up on it, but the second possession was the one that she offered herself as a victim soul, um, and and because of that, the exorcism is actually verboten. Uh, uh, it's forbidden. It's it's outlawed in Germany. So there's no there's no exorcism. There's minor as a result as a result of that case, right? Result of that case, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But here's what I told the priest. On the first day, they, we did a priest. Uh, it was online, though, because believe it or not, they're they're even afraid to show up at any. This is becoming Stalinistic. They're afraid that people are going to see who's coming. Are you? Why do you go to this? And listen. 
conference talking about exorcism. They're not allowed to do that. They could get in big trouble just for showing up at a con- the stuff that we take for granted here. They could get in trouble for. And so I was at the Maria Trost House, which is that. Uh, um, it was a, it used to be a convent. Now it's privately owned, kind of like what what uh, Virgin Most Powerful. The church was going to abandon it. Some lay people bought it, and they're using it now for a retreat house. They had a blessed sacrament there. It's it's similar to what what you guys are doing in California. Right across the street is Buron Abbey, um, Saint Martin of Tours, named after him. An ancient abbey, and this is a mother house for. I mean, the the, the the Benedictine tradition is rich in Germany. And so I told these priests, I said, "Look, I got bad news for you guys. On Good Friday, you pray. I'm priest, prophet." And victim of sacrifice. That's who Christ is. And you're in persona Christi. Don't let, let these lay people take back your rightful dignity and authority. But you are to be another Christ. In this this place in Buron where Edith Stein had her, um, where she got her vocation, where she took the name Teresa Benedicta of the Cross because of the influence of Buron Abbey. And I sat and prayed uh, at, at, at in the chair. The monks told me this is where she would sit. And she spent five years there. She went there 16 times before wow. she entered into Carmel. And her last words that she said to her sister was, and I reminded this to these priests, come Rosa. This is the last recorded words that we have of her as she was being taken away to 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 Auschwitz. Come Rosa, let us die for our people. Let us die for Germany. And so she was born on the Day of Atonement, this Jewish convert born on the Day of Atonement, offering herself as a holy oblation for the church in Germany. Um, this is what I, I, I challenged these priests. I said, look, you, this is your, your patrimony. You guys need to stop ignoring uh, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross and embrace what she brings. Embrace a life of sacrifice for the, for the salvation of Germany. And it embodies what we're doing in Liber Cristo. Is, is, and, I, and I quote Teresa Benedict multiple times in, in the manual. Uh, you know, that, that that on prayer, but also on 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 sacrifice, on the importance of of of, of suffering. And this is what it's going to take. Remember the words of Jesus talking about generational sin. This type, this type, this Janos in Greek only comes out through prayer and fasting. And so it's going to take deep prayer and a lot of sacrifice to, to pull the church of Germany out out of the hole. And they've got to recognize their own patrimony, their own their own spiritual patrimony, yeah. the Benedictine roots. Dan, are you t- did, did I just hear you say that no solemn exorcisms are allowed in the country of Germany? Verboten. They're outlawed. It's illegal. You can't even talk about it. And it, and it's probably because of the case of Annalise Michelle, 1970. So what, but what they're doing is, is they've got these self-styled charismatic guys and, and, and charismatic groups laying hands in, in, in you know, uh, um, all these charismatic little, little cells and and some priests that are laying hands, but mostly lay people, and they're they're stirring stuff up, but but it's just making it worse. It's not helping the situation. I I, I had a uh, several cases showed up and said, hey, Dan Schneider's in Germany. I want to meet. I want to meet, and I need I need to talk to him. He needs to help, you know. And one case, you know, seen by multiple charismatic priests, and they finally told her we can't help you. And I was like, I got bad news for you. After a one hour intake with her, I got bad news for you. You just need to live your Catholic faith. There's, you don't have a big, huge demon. What you need to work on is the Catholic faith. You need to work on returning to the sacraments, get away from this, this cult-like, charismatic community that you're living in, um, and go back and return to the sacraments of the Catholic Church deeply. Start living the prayer life of the Catholic Church. Mm. You're listening to Wednesday War Call with Jess and Dan. We'll be right back. We're going to be talking about, are there transgender demons? Hmm, interesting. Stick around. We'll be right back. 
All right, Jess, let's dial in. All right. Wednesday work call of Jess Romero, Dan Schneider. Dan, I want to ask you a couple of questions about um, about this uh, this technique called impartation. I want to also talk to you about a little bit. Ask you about Boltman and his uh, how he uh, he damaged biblical studies. And I also want to ask you: Do you think that the devil, obviously, he's behind all of this, but the modern modernism? Do you think it's trying to replace the sacerdotal priesthood? Uh, with the lay people and uh, make people make lay people think that they can do everything that the sacerdotal priest can do. Do you see a blurring of the lines right now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, very, very blurring of the lines what we see is a collapse. We're seeing it in this country as well. In many circles within the Catholic church, a collapse of the universal priesthood of the laity into really it's a collapse of the sacerdotal priesthood of the ordained being drawn into and collapsing together with the universal priesthood of the laity. Yes, we share as priest, prophet, and king in the universal priesthood of Christ, but the Second Vatican Council very clearly says that the priesthood of the of the of the ordained differs in essence and degree. And so little by little they've whittled away at that. And if there is no deposit of faith, then there then we can change that. We can change every single document. We can do anything in the spirit of the council, etc. And so uh, talking about the spirit, before we get into this, this idea of the sacraments, here's what, here's what uh, Pope uh, St. Paul VI said. I sense that from, the, from the, some fissure, the smoke of Satan has entered the temple of God. There is doubt, incertitude, problematic, disquiet, dissatisfaction, confrontation. There's no longer trust of the church, etc. This is from, I edited this new book by Tan, uh, on a biography of, of, of Gabriel Amorth. And this is what Father Amorth says. Um, um, well, first of all, this is what uh, um, uh, the, 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 the Paul VI says. Um, libertine experiences of the senses, deleterious experience of drugs, the ideological seductions of fashionable errors, these cracks through which the evil one can easily penetrate and alter human mentality. So as we, as we fall into you know, a disordered sexuality, as we fall into drugs and abuse of drugs and alcohol, marijuana is illegal now, right? Most places. And the ideological seductions of fashionable errors. This is the smoke that has entered into the fissure. And here's, and here's what he says. It is no wonder that scripture bitterly warns us that the whole world lies under the powers of the evil one. Here's what Father Amorth says and comment on that. Paul often spoke of the devil and he links him to the church. Why? Perhaps because he simply wished to admonish the church, to ask her to be prudent, to flee the temptations of Satan. But there is more, in my opinion. Paul VI somehow realizes that Satan is inside the church, perhaps even inside the Vatican. He is sounding the alarm. Wow, wow. This is probably Gabriel Moore. This is, this is, this is not you know um, anybody on the outside. This is a serious warrior, uh, a holy priest, a learned theologian, and he says that, Perhaps even inside the Vatican, he's sounding the alarm. Paul VI himself, St. Paul VI. And so we see this in modernism. Modernism, one of the tenets of modernism, uh, according to Pope St. Pius X, is it's a denial of the authority structure, both civil and ecclesial. Because if there is no authority structure, we no longer need a redeemer. We don't need a redeeming church. And so the whole concept of this synodal path in Germany, which has infiltrated and infested the church worldwide now, um, is that, that we don't need the priesthood. 
began with Boltmann. Modernism attacked scripture first, then the church. Look at how the, what the church went under in the 50s and 60s. Then natural law. We're seeing that. In the next segment, we're going to talk about the violation of natural law by modernist thought in trans, the transgender movement. And then divine positive law. The church's moral teachings are now under under uh, now under scrutiny. And finally, the priesthood, and we're seeing this in Germany, the, the, and we're seeing it here as well, that the priesthood is under attack. And I would think about this. Why? Who cares? Who cares about the – I mean, why would the, why would the demon an infestation of modernism want to hurt the priesthood? And then I, it, it clicked in my head a quote from St. John Vianney. Remember the year the, we had John Vianney and Pope John Paul II? He was – everybody learned about St. John Vianney, the curé de Ars. He said – and this struck me at the time – I thought this this is a weird statement, but here he said, if you remove the priest from the village in 10 years, maybe he said in 20 years, they will be worshiping the beasts. And I remember hearing that quote, and I thought, that's mm. kind of harsh. Mm. We're not that stupid, are we? Hey, man, turn on the TV. Turn on the Super Bowl. Watch the halftime show. Mm. We, if you remove the priesthood, we return to neo-paganism. We're seeing this very clearly in Germany, but we're certainly seeing this in our own country as well. And it's the priesthood in persona Christi. This is why I told these German priests, and I quoted Edith Stein, come, Rosa, let us die for our people. They are called to be Christ, just as a man is called to be in Ephesians 5, to die for his wife, to die for his bride, the bride, the church, the, the, the priest is called to die for his bride, his church, his, his, his parish. Dan, what parallels do you see in Germany and the United States? Uh, I mean, on both countries, obviously, we're, we're fighting against the demon of modernism. <clears throat> is it more advanced in Germany than it is in here in the U.S.? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, they're stuck to about we were where we were about 20, 25 years ago. But there are some commonalities today. We, we talked about, and last time you and I were on the show together, we talked about this, this thing of impartation. Yes, yes. It's common even among Catholics. There's, there are many charismatic Catholics that have uncritically um, accepted modalities from Protestantism uh, without looking at the underlying ecclesiology or the underlying philosophy and theology of these things. And so this idea that one layperson can lay hands on another layperson and impart the spiritual gifts um, is not in anything that we believe in Catholic tradition. Who lays hands? The Catholic priest lays hands. Who imparts the gift of the Holy Spirit? The bishop. And the priest, when they baptize, and the priest, when they have the authority from the bishop to, 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 to do confirmation. But think about this. In the, in, in the model that they're doing over there, under the synodal path, which, which is heavily reliant upon charismatic modalities, if you, if, if you have—we uh, already talked about unbound. In the fourth key of unbound, lay people confess their sins to other lay people. So all the deliverance mo modalities over there, they're using unbound, which means lay people are hearing confessions. Check. Right. Now, I talking to the local pre now impartation. Lay people are laying hands and imparting the Holy Spirit. There's confirmation. Check. Lay people are laying hands and and uh, driving out demons. That's that is a usurpation of the of the munus redendi, the, the obligation, the, the responsibility to rule the church and drive out demons, even in today's gospel. He sent the 12 out, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave it to the 12. Our, our, we fall under the category of our own office within the church on driving out demons. And so now they're driving out demons. 
a priest heard my my online lecture. He showed up that night and said, I I, I got to hear this guy. And he sat in the he sat in the audience for the next three days, two days of live lectures. He wanted to talk to me offline about some other issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said in, in his diocese, they are now teaching. He's commanded by his bishop to teach the baptized. I mean, to teach laity to baptize. Check. So the now priest to baptize, hear confessions. We don't need them to do confirmation. We don't need them to drive out demons. You see where we're going with this? So, so now, uh, preach. I said, well, what about preaching? The munus docende, the, the 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 responsibility to teach, to preach. He said, all pre- lay people have been teaching here, preaching here for years. What about what about funerals? Lay people have been doing funeral ceremonies and internments for years. Old ladies from the church are doing the baptism ceremonies now. So I finally said to the to one of the priests, hey, the only thing left is all you guys can do is say mass and confect the Eucharist. And the one priest said, Dan, they have been doing this this Protestant concept of impartation for years over here. And now there's priests actually believing by laying hands and they're imparting the gift of priesthood so laity can say mass. He said, Dan, this has been going on over here for years. So what we have is going back to, to another Amorth quote. Here's what he says. He says, uh, um, Though he said, there's always a strong temptation of charismatics, sensitives, and exorcists. Father Gabriel Moore says this, of finding the quickest way to heal by going outside of the common sacred means of attaining grace. Those who seek quick solutions outside of the ordinary channels of obtaining grace unwittingly fall into the trap of magic. You had said this last time we got together. This is this is almost akin to, if not already, we become practitioners of white magic in terms of sacraments, the conferring of sacraments and sacramental grace. We've completely detached from the deposit of faith. This is why the, the process theologians and the, and the progressives in the church want to break uh, the deposit of faith, because once you can break that, we can reform the entire structure in a, in a wholly different way. That might sound harsh, wow. but maybe wow. it's jet lag. But I'm telling you, what I saw over there was frightening. And I saw as I'm just a cat scout with a PhD in common sense and a PhD in biblical studies and a student of history. I'm seeing where the enemy is trying to drive the church here. And it begins with the interplay of the church and the state, the renouncing of the authority structure. And, and that's, under- Dan, that, yeah. that's what's happening here as well. Sure it is. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, that's why, by the way, there's going to be a conference, a, a rally uh, next week on the 20th over in Washington, D.C. It's... It's many many apostolates are going to be going over to get over there. Church Milton is going to be uh, the tip of the spear, but we're going to be doing a prayer rally in front of the U.S. bishops, and we're also going to be asking the bishops. We're going to have several speakers that are experts in certain areas where the U.S. bishops are enmeshed with, uh, and they're awash in millions of dollars of uh, congressional Democrat legislation. And we want them to disentangle this. We want our bishops to be disentangled and not enmesh with any political party, especially when it comes to money, because nothing good can come out of that, Dan. No, and this is exactly how they, what, they, what they did to Germany. When they, when they put the, the tax in, the church tax, you, pay, you say I'm Catholic, they take 8% of your check. And it goes to that church. If you say, I don't want to pay this tax, you will not get the sacraments. If you're if you're if you're you, you, if you're you're going to baptize your children, you don't pay the tax. The church will withhold the sacraments from you. So only 500,000 Germans go to mass, by the way. 
all this all this stuff in the church that, that that's coming from the synodal path over there that's that's being uh, uh, that's influencing the church worldwide. Remember, there's only five hundred thousand Catholics that go to mass on Sunday, and there's four hundred thousand employees of the church that work for the church. So, so I mean, we've got 500,000 Catholics in Los Angeles, I'm sure, go to Mass every Sunday, in Los Angeles alone in that area, you know? Yeah. So, so all this influence is really, go- it's really creating, it's creating uh, reverberations throughout the church, and we have to be very aware uh, of what's going on. So, so, so we have, again, returning to first principles. What are the first principles of the Catholic faith? Bishop Strickland is correct, going back to the deposit of faith. Is this consistent with? This is the rule uh, of St. Irenaeus going back to the second century is the rule, the unbending rule of truth. He called it. Is this consistent with what Christ handed over to the apostles and them to their successors? Um, uh, St. Vincent of Lorenz, the, the, the Vincenzan canon, that which was believed everywhere, always by everyone from the beginning. This is how we know the truth. And this is why even the deposit of faith, is under attack, and 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 prelates are told you can't say that you can't use the phrase deposit of faith. Yeah, we can because it's in the catechism. It's part of what we believe. This is the truth of the faith, and we have to be aware that this the militation, just like Paul the Sixth, Pope Paul, Saint Paul the Sixth said, through this fissure the smoke of Satan has come in. He's sounding an alarm. You're listening to Wednesday War College. Jess Romero, Dan Schneider. We'll keep on talking about spiritual warfare on this next segment. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Wednesday War College, Dan, the last two segments when you're talking about Germany and the state of this German church and what's happening here in the U.S. with modernism, it reminds me of uh, that, that verse in Jude chapter 1, verse 11, where it talks about the rebelliousness of the, of the lay people uh, above and beyond the spiritual authority established by God. It says here in verse 11, Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain, and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. What was happening there is uh, Korah and other lay people, or other lay Israelites, they began to rebel against the authority of Moses and Aaron. They wanted to usurp the office of the priesthood. And uh, what ended up happening, God ended up opening up the ground and uh, 250 of them were swallowed whole. We're going to start seeing... <laughs> Uh, divine acts like divine judgment like that, Dan, and because we've entered in Germany, here in the U.S. and in other parts, lay people have entered into Korah's rebellion, led by other lay people who should know better, who are starting these apostolates, who are who are trying to start like a parallel church. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think again, knowingly or unknowingly, how do we do this? You know, when I was in the military, we 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 would. Uh, you know, and any shooter knows, and you in law enforcement, when you when you're trying to get your weapon straight, you 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 shoot three rounds, right? You triangulate your shot group. You don't just look at one round. You you hit three, you shoot three rounds, and then you create a triangle, and then you adjust upright, left, you know, left, right, up and down. So how do we triangulate our shot group? How do we know that we've got DDT, as you call it, devil defeating theology? How do we know we got DDT? There's three bullets. We shoot three rounds. It's not just scripture alone. Because you can't just say, you can't just quote a scripture. It's erroneous to say, well, 
Um, Jesus, you know, in my name, they'll drive out demons. So therefore we can drive out demons. You got to contextualize that. And the three rounds are scripture, tradition, the magisterium. You can't just point to St. Thomas. Well, St. Thomas says this, how does the whole church receive scripture? And how is this led? And how is this read in light of the, uh, another theological term, the analogy of faith, all the, the doctrines of the church read together. Is this consistent with this? Is this consistent with what the deposit of faith says? And so the modernist is saying, we don't have this deposit of faith. We need to get rid of that. We need to, we, we got to let the spirit in to the church, right? We've, you know, we've got to let the spirit into the church so we can be doing. But, but God is very consistent. He's very consistent. And, and the truths of the faith, the, the, the task of each generation magisterially is to safeguard and protect the deposit of faith, to hand it down from generation to generation. And, and the lay people, remember, our charism, according to the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium, is secular in nature. We go out there and do this stuff, man. We bring the gospel out there. And, and however God has called us to do, we bring the gospel into the modern, modern world. That's our job, right? We're, we're not supposed to be laying hands and, and, and trying to create this parallel sacramental system. We're supposed to be into the world, bringing the gospel into starting in our homes and then into our own constructs, wherever, wherever God has called us, teachers, lawyers, business people. We bring the gospel and the values of the gospel right there. Yeah, just like we're going to bring the gospel uh, July 20th over in Washington, D.C. In the you know, every once Square. in a while, Jess, every once in a while, a child, especially as he gets older, it says to his, so his you might have to say to his dad, hey, dad, you know, you're driving too fast. Hey, dad, you know, you're, 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 you're using bad language. You know, everyone as a child gets older, you know, and so, and so the laity, we're, this is not disobedience. The laity uh, are speaking and what you do very well, and I respect you for that, is that you're able to talk to the bishops as fathers, as spiritual fathers, and you're reminding them, reminding them of their, of their patrimony and the authority that they have, and, and challenging them to live up to that. That's it. Amen. It's just like if you just said, like, if you see your dad uh, going off the rails at home, you know, dropping F-bombs, watching pornography, treating your mom bad, you're going you're gonna to say, especially when you reach the age of majority, you're going to say, Dad, please stop it, Dad. Knock yeah. it off. You're scandalizing me. You're scandalizing yeah. my brothers and sisters. And that's all we're doing as lay people. Yeah. I, had a guy, I had a guy talk to me, and he says, my wife doesn't respect me and I, i've got all these problems and they're all you know of course everything is the devil's problem if it's not the devil's problem it was his grandpa because his grandpa was you know some generational curse and they had to blame grandpa and i said yeah well tell me about your life yeah i uh I, I, man i go to latin mass and i do the indulgence things and i do all that and uh I'm like, okay, okay tell me about your moral life do you look at porn well i used to yeah i used to look at porn and i used to smoke a lot of pot but I don't anymore. But my wife just doesn't respect me. And I said, oh, OK, when did you, when's the last time you looked at porn? Oh, man. Yeah. At least a month. <laughs> I said, oh, really? Oh, my, when's, the last time you smoked, when's the last time you smoked marijuana? Oh, man, I smoked marijuana. It's been a long time, man. I think it's been like three weeks. I said, you, you know what? Your wife doesn't respect you. I said, look at you. You said you used to be a kickboxer, a fighter. You're a fat slob. You're 75 pounds overweight. You're looking at pornography. You're, you're, you know what I mean? You, you're, you're smoking marijuana like a little, like a little college kid, like a frat. You look like a frat boy, and you complain about your child. Your your wife doesn't respect you. And and and, and Father Ripperker says that the the man is the head of household. And and I said you don't get it, brother. You don't get it. Live up to your dignity. 
Christ has called you to die for her in Ephesians chapter 5. And that means you put to death your childish behavior. That's it, right? You won't submit to a boy. She won't submit yeah. to a boy. You live like a man. And we're saying the same things. And you're very gentle about it. We're talking to the, to the bishops and to your priest. We respect you. We respect your, your office. But live it, live it with dignity. Don't complain yeah. about the lady who don't listen to you when, you, when you when you don't live up to that dignity any more than a father whose children ignore them or his wife ignores them because he acts like a child. Yeah, perfect analogy, Dan. Hey, I want to shift gears a little bit here. And uh, first of all, I want to invite everybody to go watch The Sound of Freedom. This week, go watch The Sound of Freedom. It's one of the best Catholic movies. Nefarious and the best and Sound of Freedom are the best Catholic movies that have come out in the last couple of years. And it goes to show you what the Catholic mind, a Catholic director, producer, writer can do when they put their pen to paper and they put their Catholic thinking cap on. These movies are absolutely uh, and, top-notch. Uh, let me add, Jess, do yeah. not see um, the, uh, the Amorth movie. It's a joke. Don't see it. It's right. It's, yeah. I've been I mean, telling people not to see it. I've been telling people not to see it. I started to watch it on the plane over, right? Just, uh -huh. to, okay, let me see. What, horrible. They didn't, not only did they not consult an exorcist or even anybody involved in it, they, I don't think they consulted a Roman Catholic. I, every once in a while, I watch a military movie. So I, I try to <laughs> say, all right, forget it. I'll watch a military movie. I'll watch this other movie. There's like, dude, this guy, this guy is supposed to be a green beret and he's wearing his, he, look, he, he looks like a French chef with his beret sticking up and is saluting like Benny Hill. I mean, this oh, is ridiculous. Man. Consult a military guy. If you're going to do a military movie, consult an exorcist if you do an exorcist movie. So yeah, Nefarious, outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, uh, and then, of course, Jim Caviezel's movie. Now, now, now you can tell by the left, because what they're saying is, oh, this is all... They're going crazy. Uh, they're going crazy. Can you imagine that? Why would you go crazy? Oh, because this is QAnon stuff. This is QAnon stuff. This is ought to tell you. This is why you need to go see it. Jim Jim Caviezel is tapping into something huge. He is exposing something huge that the that that is empowering the far left, uh, perhaps otherwise. That's right. Uh, yeah, good good point, Dan. Uh, also, also just want to mention. Uh, yeah, this uh, it broke, it broke box office records this week. Uh, Sound of Freedom. And I'll tell you why a lot of people are uncomfortable with it, because it's exposing the diabolical international child sex slave trafficking. And guess what, Dan? There's a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in our country. Well, our country's the number one consumer of, of this filth. And, and also, there's some very good videos, which pains me. If you go to complicitclergy.com, complicitclergy.com, there are some well-done videos by Catholics as a Catholic apostolate that shows that there's a nexus between all this child sex trafficking and a lot of the U.S. bishops, uh, you know, CRS and, and some all the U.S. bishops, their social justice offices, they're taking these kids that are being trafficked from through Mexico and they're, you know, they're they're dispersing them throughout the country. And it's it's happening through the Catholic Church. If you watch complicitclergy.com, your heart will break to see how enmeshed we are uh, many bishops' offices, social justice offices, how enmeshed we are with this whole human sex trafficking. It'll absolutely break your heart. That's why we as Catholics, we got to speak out. We got to write to our bishops. We got to pray that this evil stops because there's nothing worse than uh, harming one of God's little ones. I mean, it's better for you to throw an, a hundred pound rock around your neck and throw yourself into the ocean. Uh, that would be a better faith than to stand before the judgment seat of Christ having abused a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear great things about it. And uh, 
the 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 Germans really want to. Uh, I got an email for you to try to see what you can do to see if uh, you can get your Hollywood connections to help them. They really are looking to the American church for help, and they know, wow. you know. Wow. And and, wow. Uh, and so yeah, this, this, the, those two movies are, are fantastic. The, the what's good about Nefarious is that it's uh, it really gives you the end game of the demon, some of the diabolic psychology. Um, it, you know, it's, it's very cleverly done and it's very well researched. So, um, both those movies are well researched. And, and the fact that the, 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 the that the, the mainstream media is trying to put those down ought to give us an indication. It's the do the opposite uh, rule, you know, whatever these people say, let's do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Dan, on the next last segment, I want to talk a little, little bit about transgender demons. And I just wanted to say bef before I turn it over to you in the next segment, that back in 1976, Father Malachi Martin, uh, he wrote a book called Hostage to the Devil. And in chapter 10 of that book, that chapter is called The Virgin and the Girl Fixer. The Girl Fixer. And it's very interesting because this story, it's about a person named Richard, a male who's transsexual. Uh, he participates in a black mass in 1971. He's born physically a male, but he's got this, you know, this insatiable desire to become a woman. Uh, and and, and uh, he ends up getting possessed little by little. He ends up doing things to invite the demon in. And uh, at the end of the book, uh, Father, Father Gerald, the exorcist, calls him Richard Rita. Uh, because, uh, again... And, and the demon that possesses Richard Rita, uh, that demon identified himself as the girl fixer, the girl fixer. Yeah. And so this uh, so th this is a story of possession that was that happened in the 60s about demons pushing behavior to become so absurd that a man would try to become a woman. We'll talk about that next with Dan in the last segment. You're listening to Wednesday War College. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Wednesday War College, I want to talk a little bit about transgenderism. This is a, the hot topic of today. Dan, a couple of weeks ago when I talk, asked you the question, you, you did a masterful job of explaining uh, some of these uh, ancient demons that were already pushing the transgender sin, the transgender confusion upon cultures and, and, and countries and civilizations. Uh, <clears throat> I know that... Uh, one of the reasons I know that transgenderism has to be the work of Satan is uh, Father Gabriel Amorth himself. He said, uh, he said several years before he passed away, he said, quote, the devil wants to confuse our children about gender, close quote, Father Gabriel Amorth. And something else that I noticed about these transgenders, and by the way, a lot of these transgender kids are committing um, mass murders. A lot of uh, these, a lot of these mass shootings, the mainstream media doesn't want to put it out. When you go into it and start finding out who the suspect is, uh, ninety percent of them, the last couple of years, have been transgenders. But they also they also identify themselves with these pronouns such as we, they, us, them. You know this plurality of persons. And it's interesting because in the Holy Bible, when our Lord would encounter a demonically possessed person, oftentimes they would say, "My name is Legion, for we are many." 
And so th those are proofs that the transgender movement is spawned by demons. Then, but historically, uh, <clears throat> are, do some of these ancient demons, do they go back into ancient civilizations and pushing this type, this type of same sin? Yeah, they're, they're just recycling. Uh, different cultures have different expressions. Different demons are going to work better in other cultures, you know. So it, it, it's kind of a – they look for soft spots just like any enemy would look. Look for soft spots, soft targets, the cultural uh, symmetry, psychological uh, uh, um, um, symbiosis with the, the general feel culture, the zeitgeist, the, the, the spirit of the age. So, so yeah, going back, it goes back to the to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy twenty two five forbids cross dressing. Um, and the, the and, and uh, Exodus one eleven, the cities of Ramses and Pithom, right? Um, the, these gods were dedicated to a certain deity, the He She Creator God of Gnosticism. This was found in the Nag Hammadi scrolls uh, in the fifties. Um, also called the Great Masturbator. In this cult. This bisexual demon would, would generate as as if were God could generate out of himself. Um, so we start to see this the, at the very beginning. Um, this God is the bisexual begetter. They see that they see this God as the ultimate form. This is a mockery of God who created man and, and male and female and female. He created them in our image. He so one God, three persons. Somehow the 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 polarity. Uh, I'm sorry, the binary. The complementarity is seen in the binary of male and female, and so from the so when they when they left Egypt, one of the conscripts one of the one of the Deuteronomic codes was, hey, you don't cross dress because that's what they did in Egypt. So we, we see later um, another another demon of a similar of a of the similar bisexual demon is the demon of Belial, Second Corinthians six fifteen. I've got it here. Um, do you, don't be yoked with those who are different with unbelievers. For what partnerships do you righteousness have with lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What does accord has Christ with Belial? Or what believer have in common with the unbeliever? For we are temples of the living God, etc. The, the word Belial means worthless, wicked, base, without yoke, lawless, mm. rebellious. Um, so, so Paul uses this image. He's calling him, him out by name. This is the dance of, of, of um, Herodias. Before John the Baptist, they beheaded John the Baptist. Um, this 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 was a, a demon that tries to evoke the sexual response from both male and female alike. Think of the image of the devil in the in the um, uh, in the in, the uh, Passion of the Christ. Remember, he was yes, he, it was a female who they shaved her head and did a male voice, so you didn't quite know the gender. That was a very excellent artistic portrayal. Sure was. There's an article on. Um, an academic article on on Milton's Paradise Lost, and he's describing Belial, right? Uh, Belial is degenerate, slothful, but also subtle and intellectual. Think about this in, in our, our, our culture today. He is the severest test of manly virtue, associated with intemperance, drinking to drunkenness and gluttony, both excessive heterosexuality and sodomy and rape, bored with life, sated, Overindulged, narcissistic. This is something new in the modern world. Is with tons of narcissistic behavior disorders, associated with androgyny and hermaphroditism, effeminate slackness. He is what man becomes if he has no sexual polarity. Effeminate slackness. He is what man becomes if there is no sexual polarity. Perversely corrupt bisexuality, at once succubus and incubus. He can, by his nature, only be narcissistic, grossly sexual, or evilly homosexual. Uh, Solomon, 
it's mentioned, who despite his wisdom was beguiled by Belial and taking 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, so, so this is what we're up against. This, this is what's been unleashed, and it's part of the transgender, uh, it's part of what's flowing and pushing things behind this whole transgender ideology. We're, we fight an ancient enemy, and, and these guys are just resurfacing back, just like the Iraqis went primitive uh, after we defeated them uh, tank on tank. They went primitive, took their uniforms off, and shifted the battle. These guys are going primitive on us, and we have to go back to the ancient weapons prayer, sacrament, the priesthood, the authority of the bishop, you know, the bishops taking charge uh, 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 in the spiritual realm, uh, um, doing exorcisms uh, for their diocese, consecration of their diocese, just like we do it to our homes. They should be consecrating their parishes and dioceses, going back and driving this stuff out. So that, 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 this is not a new thing. It's just that the time was right. You know, you, Jesse, you know, there were times that you were in the ring with somebody and you knew, I can, I know I'm going to beat this I know I'm going to beat him, but he's just waiting for that moment. I watched Tyson Fury fight, and one of his early fight, one of one of the early rounds, he would set this guy up with a with, a, with just a little feint, you know. And the guy, when the guy did like this, every time he would do this fake jab, the the, the guy went like this. He didn't do this like he should. He did mm. this. So on the and the, the 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 announcer said he better watch that Fury's setting him up. And sure enough, in the fifth round, Fury faints. The guy does this. Fury throws an up, drops him, just like that. So he, you, you know, the fighter, you wait to the precise moment to throw the right punch. You're not going to throw that while they're fresh. You wait till they're weak. You wait till you 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 have habituated their behavior. You know what they're vulnerable to, and then you throw what you think is going to be the knockout punch. They do that to us and our souls, but they do that to cultures and countries as well. So our culture has been been habituated in a sense and weakened. Um, and and now this is this is what's coming on the heels for the knockout punch. Yeah, Dan, just to show you the connection between the diabolical and and uh, and the transgender movement, <clears throat> the most active satanic satanic movement in the United States, they're called the Temple of Satan. I've already uh, organized two prayer rallies against them: one in Scottsdale and one in Boston. And anywhere they go, rear their ugly head. I'm going to be uh, actively setting up prayer rallies for Catholics to go stand and pray out there in front of these these guys doing uh, these black masses and consecrations. But here's what's interesting. Their founder, Lucian Greaves, he said in an interview the other day, and he's the, he's the founder of the Satanic Temple. He's, he's the new Anton LaVey. He's a young Anton LaVey. He says that, he says that the majority of his of his members of the temple of Satan. He says there's about 50,000 members in the U S right now and growing exponentially. He said, virtually all of our members are transgender. I don't find that to be a coincidence, Dan, that the majority of the members of the temple of Satan, the most active satanic cult in America today, the vast majority of the members are transgender. Lucian Greaves, their Pope also said, he said, um, we stand a hundred percent with the transgender community and we will do everything we can to have it normalized. And the third reason I, again, the third reason I know that the transgender movement and the satanic movement is one and the same, and it's, it's, it's completely diabolic is that Lucian Greaves, their, their mascot, the, 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 the icon that they use at their temples is, uh, the demon God, the demon Baphomet who, we reject, rebuke, and renounce in Jesus' name. Go to the foot of the cross. 
And if you look at that <clears throat> demon that starts with a B, it's uh, it's got a goat's head, it's got bat wings, it's got female breast, and it's got male parts. So it's a half human, half animal, half male and female, uh, which goes to show this type of disorder, uh, which is depicted in this demon god Baphomet, which is the mascot of the temple of Satan, which the temple of Satan says virtually all of our members are transgender. There is a complete connection between the transgender movement and the diabolical. Yeah, well, it's a complete reversal of the, of the of the order of creation, where God creates man, man has dominion over the creatures, and then God pulls Eve from the side of Adam in complementality. But 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 you have an order of structure of of man as head of household, right, and then having dominion together over um, the created world and creature. So here you get a complete inversion of that, where what's on top is the, the the beast is on top, the created world yeah. drives. And this is why the, 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 their motto is, do what thou wilt, whatever feels good, you do it, you be you, follow your instincts. It's linked to the, the lower fallen nature of us. And so, yeah, I'm, I, I've never heard that statistic, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, it does. A, a, and once again, St. Paul warned us, uh, he, he warned us, in 1 Timothy 4.1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. That's now. Some will depart from the faith. That's called apostasy. By giving heed to deceitful spirits. Notice, deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Close quote. Who is the ultimate deceitful spirit? The devil. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The huge dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil and saint who deceived the whole world and was thrown down to the earth and its angels were thrown down with it. The devil's the deceiver. We live right now in a time where there are deceitful spirits roaming the earth. And we also have human beings who are deceivers. Second John 1, 7, the Bible says many deceivers have gone out into the world. And this whole deception that we're dealing with right now, this transgenderism, this comes straight from the pit of hell. Yeah, and in, right around the same time when this was the free love movement was rolling uh, through the world. Um, uh, we'll, we'll stop there. We'll pick up there next time. I hear the music. Yeah. You're listening to Wednesday War College. Jess Romero, Dan Schneider talking about all things spiritual warfare. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Just want to remind you, July is the, the month of the precious blood of Jesus. Up next, Gary Machuda coming to you from the Midwest Command Center, hands-on apologetics. And as for Dan and myself, we love to be with you. Thanks a lot, family, for tuning in. We love your listenership, but we are EOW end of watch. We will see you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. Don't forget to get Dan's book. Don't forget to get Dan's book. It's called Liber Cristo, Manual for Spiritual Warfare, 10 books. Liber Cristo, Manual for Spiritual Warfare, 10 books. Get Dan's book.